to a very special Talk More Talk, a solo Beatles video cast. Uh, as you can see, we are not live tonight, but we are uh, recording for a very, very particular reason because we have some very special guests with us. Um, and we are here to talk about a book that I think it's safe to say everybody's been talking about, uh, Living the Beatles Legend, The Untold Story, of Mal Evans. And uh, we have some guests tonight who are going to uh, talk quite a bit about this book. Uh, before we get to that, let me uh, introduce uh, our, uh, ourselves. Uh, I'm, I'm Kid O'Toole. I'm the author of Songs We Are Singing, Guided Tours Through the Beatles' Lesser Known Tracks, Michael Jackson FAQ, as well as a co-editor uh, with uh, somebody who is sitting with us right here called <laughs> Fandom and the Beatles. Uh, and I'm also the co-host of Toppermost of the Poppermost, a podcast where we, where we trace the Beatles' journey on the charts. Uh, with me are the co-hosts I'm lucky enough to uh, be with every other week. Um, Ken Michaels, who is uh, the host of so many shows that I don't know how he sleeps. Um, he is the uh, the host of the long running uh, podcast Things We Said Today, um, where they recently got to once again interview Peter Jackson. Um, do not miss that show as well as many of his other shows. Uh, and uh, also Every Little Thing, the long running syndicated show, as well as his own uh, YouTube channel, Ken Michaels Radio, where he interviews just everybody you can think of, authors, uh, <laughs> musicians, um, and some YouTube people. You just never know who is going to show up. Also, speaking of YouTube people, Joe Mayo, who hosts his own popular TV, uh, or, well, YouTube. Should be a TV show. <laughs> it should be a TV show. What am I saying? Um, a YouTube channel, Mean Mr. Mayo, where he uh, has shows called Fab Gab. He hosts live chats. He has comedy shows all of his adventures in Beatles collecting, Joe Mayo. And last but definitely not least, he is the co-host of the very popular podcast and video cast, Two Legs, which is about all things Paul McCartney. Um, and uh, they have live chats. They have uh, you know, regular shows. You just never know what's going to pop up on that show. So uh, Tom Hunyadi. And now let me introduce our very special guest. He is a a original co-host of this show right here 
and uh now he is uh kind of a a like semi-regular he comes back and um, you know at various times and we are always glad to have him back and he is the author of so many um crucial books in Beatles history and he is the author of this book right here living the Beatles legends let's welcome back Ken Womack Ken it is so good to see you welcome back to talk more talk thanks team proud to be here yep and, well, you know, it, it, it sucked oh. to see you leave, but but seeing everything that you've done since you've been gone, I say, I mean, round of applause, my friend. <laughs> uh, That's just, right. Yeah, well, thank yes. you, team. And uh, yeah. I love it when Kit calls me the fifth talker. That's right. You are. <laughs> That's right. That's a good one. That's good. You are the fifth talker. And if that weren't enough, we are so thrilled to also have on our show um, a, a new friend, uh, to us and uh, and just uh, you know we have been so thrilled to welcome him into the Beatles community. He is the son of Mel Evans and just the nicest person that you'd ever want to meet. We are so thrilled to have him here to hear about his memories of his wonderful dad, Gary Evans. Gary, welcome to Talk More Thank Talk. Thank you very much. It's such a, a lovely welcome and. Hello, Beatles fans and male <laughs> fans as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. thank you, Gary. We, we're just thrilled to have you here. Thank you for being with us. So, my gosh, where to begin? Um, <laughs> where to begin? Um, you know, again, both of you, congratulations on this this wonderful book. And I thought before we get to, you know, specific questions about the book, um, I thought we could start with, you know how this book came about um and so i i thought i'd start with you gary um uh, i believe it was back in 2020 um and and correct me if i'm wrong if it was 2020 when when this whole thing started um you know what what made you decide uh gary to that it was the right time to tell mel's story to finally get it out there why 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 now? Um, it's been on the back burner for almost half a century. And the 50th anniversary of the Mad Bow was the tipping point. Uh, and I met a lovely guy called Simon Weitzman. And I explained the predicament. There's my dad's story. And does he know anybody who can enable the, the beautiful story of my dad's life? And Ken Womack came out of his lips. And I, I wasn't really aware of Ken, but my goodness, I am now. Uh, so it was <laughs> it's that pinch point, half a century after I hung out with the Beatles on the Mad Day Out. I thought, this is it, got to go for it now. And then, yeah, around about the time of COVID hitting, uh, which was quite fortuitous, Ken had quite a lot of downtime for me to throw stuff at him. And that was it. And the last three and a half years have, have been a whirlwind. It's re- really, really good. Yep. And I also wonder, did um, did Mel's appearance in, in uh, well, a lot, more than just a brief appearance, he was in it a lot in Get Back. Um, it, but, but it sounds like this was in motion before uh, Get Back. Yeah, th- this uh, predated Get Back, my delivery. Yeah, it was... Definitely uh, 
the icing on the cake to see my dad in action uh, 50-odd years after the event. And uh, it, it took me back to being a child and being you know, such in awe of my father. He was such a wonderful guy. Uh, and the book proves it, that if you... Ken always says, you know, everybody definitely doing life. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Okay, so Ken, so then you enter the picture. So so tell us how this happens. So Simon Weitzman, who, by the way, many of us know um, from, uh, you know, from Beetlefest and, and through this movie, um, who's uh, that he's been working on for uh, so many years, and I'm I'm blanking out the name of it. What is it? Uh, I see you there and everywhere. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, thank you, thank you. I'm I'm just absolutely blanking out. So uh, he's working on this film about fan fandom and the Beatles for so many uh, so many years. So so Ken, how did you enter the picture then? Well, so Simon um, regularly zoomed with me then anyway, uh, and and still does. And said, uh, you know, uh, would you be interested and willing to meet with Gary Evans, son of Mal, to talk about his dad's story? And, um, you know, I said, sure. I mean, I'm like everybody. I'm interested in Mal Evans. And I, I wanted to know, uh, you know, more about, you know, what happened to him and and what was the extent of his his work with with the Beatles. And, uh, you know, inside of five minutes of being with Gary on Zoom, I knew that I would, you know, be happy to help out in any way that I could. Gary is one of the most wonderful, loving people I've ever met. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I, I just, you know, he's so cuddly. I knew within minutes that I would. <laughs> I knew, no, I mean, I knew I would do it even if, you know, I could only eke out 80,000 words. Uh, you know, I, I would, I'd figure out a way to get it done. But uh, I, before we finished our first Zoom, and and we've been Zooming a lot in these three plus years, uh, I did say to him, you know, is it true that there's all this stuff? And and Gary said, you know, do you want to see it? And I said, you bet. And, you know, not too long afterwards, this big parcel arrives in New Jersey. And then I realized it was more than 80,000 words. <laughs> yes. Now, let's let's get to that. So the so you get the. You get this, this parcel. How did you go about going through all that information? I mean, there was a, a lot more than you expected, right? Uh, uh, absolutely. And um, and Gary actually set about at that point to delving deeper into the loft and finding more and more material. In fact, we may have at least made the whole thing a third larger just from the work we did together over the next year trying to harness as much material as we could. Um, but it was COVID. And uh, as you know, our university was completely online for a year plus. And uh, suddenly we had all these grad students and uh, undergraduates who had a lot of time on their hands. And um, we had five graduate students help us with transcribing Mao's materials. Of course, they were under, uh, you know, under a, a dictum to keep everything confidential and it was all secret, which made them love it even more. Um, and then uh, we had uh, an undergraduate named Carly Migliarisi who um, <laughs> demanded to be part of the team and uh, we made sure she was. And uh, as Gary knows, she's done several mal projects now at school uh, here on the shore, but also helped organize the photos. So it was kind of an organizational challenge for the longest time, just getting it 
getting it so that we could really see what we were what we were working on and and not wanting to leave any details out absolutely and and gary uh i think you mentioned at the rock and roll hall of fame presentation that you know how closely you and and ken obviously you know work together on this how how did you guys you know work together were there weekly meetings you know how how did this come about it was at least a two-hour zoom every friday uh going back to what ken said about me being cuddly and Ken, Ken is cuddly Ken. Come on to the late, great Kenny Everett. He was cuddly Ken. But yeah, Ken, Ken is so cuddly. Um, I'd just like to say, Ken, whatever we've been through the last three plus years, you, you're always a very special friend to me. And, uh, yeah, you, you and Janine mean the world to me, man. Well, thank you so much, pal. Um, and uh, it is... Uh, yeah, it's been one of the great joys of my life. Yep. Thank you very much. Oh, sorry, backtrack. Sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> what well, was that question? <laughs> yeah, well, actually, you you bring up something interesting. Um, you know, saying that why why did you decide that Ken was the right person to tell uh, Mal's story? Listening to Simon for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Who, who I thought, now oh, this guy is, you know, a certain guy called Mark. I'm thinking he's up there at least with him. And by the time I've talked to Ken, you know, it, he's the guy for me. Yeah. No disrespect to Mark. <laughs> he's heavily embedded in a three book journey that we hope to see one day. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, Ken, you, you go through this story and, you know, you're going through this this material. What kind of, of story did you think you were going to be telling, um, you know, that, that you envisioned this book to be? And did it turn out to be what you envisioned you were going to tell or did the book turn out to be something different? You know, it's fairly closely aligned with what when we finally set about to putting pen to paper, um, it really does look like I thought it would look. But long before we got to that stage, you know, Gary um, established pretty early on that some of the some of the storyline about Mal just wasn't true. Um, a lot of what what has been out in the ether and and out in our friend the internet just wasn't accurate. And, uh, you know, for example, his demise chiefly among them, but but so many other issues. And, uh, you know, we we kept coming up with hot button topics, for example, where we'd be revealing personal things about about Gary's dad. And, you know, we tried to decide, well, is this going to go in and is this not going to go in? And, and finally, you know, Gary and I happened upon the Ringo comment about, you know, tell the truth. Mal was planning to tell the truth about himself. And so we really follow that dictum from that point forward. And it would be our, you know, the sort of the prism through which we would make decisions. Yeah. And I think that's what we all, and and, and I know you guys, you know, questions and we'll get to in just a sec, uh, that I think that's what the, one of the great things about this sure. work is it does tell the truth. Yeah. And, you know, I, I mean, in those first minutes before, um, you know, going back to 2020 before we got 
really got together on this and started talking it through, I imagined it would be the kind of cuddly story that we all thought Mal was. And he still is that. Um, but now he's he's a round character. He's not a flat character. He's not a Disney character. You know, he's a person with real ambitions. He's a, a real human being with challenges and flaws and all the all the stuff that we all have, except you, Kit. Um, and, you know, <laughs> so it really, uh, you know, we just realized we had to capture all of Mal's dimensions. And, uh, you know, to do anything else would have been dishonest. Gary had been living with uh, an honest portrait of his father, at least personally, for all these years. You know, they, it would have been silly for us to go out and try to adhere to, you know, base expectations. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and really, uh, Gary, I think, you know, we really, I, I said this to you, you know, in, in Cleveland and, and, you know, that we really thank you for sharing your dad's story with us. Because really, we feel now, you know, we, we, you know, loved him before. And now we really know, feel we know him better as a person than, and, you know, really, you know, we thank you for sharing your dad's story with us. Thank you know, very much. It really, it really is the wisdom of us that out of, out of these pages comes comes my dad, you know. He's coming at you on the yellow brick road, smiling away, most probably with an anvil in tow. Uh, <laughs> and Ken's done such a beautiful job on it. Uh, yeah, for each word is precious. He, he, he had to drop some words, but the book is still perfect in my mind. Really, really good job, Ken. Absolutely, and and one more before I I pass it on to uh, to my my friends here. Um, you mentioned uh, Ken in your your presentation about all the people you had to interview, and you said hundreds uh, of of uh, people you interviewed for for this book, and so many that luckily you did interview them uh, before uh, they passed on. Um, were who were some of the people you interviewed that proved to be the most you know helpful the, the the most essential to tell Mel's story well um fortunately and and folks will have their own crack at this in the not too distant future but i had Mel's memoirs and his diaries and so i could pull names directly out of out of those pages and so i i called those first but then i went to a lot of a lot of when you know Mal's story i went to a lot of the obvious folks um uh Obviously, Gary and his sister, Julie, uh, Mal's two sisters, uh, surviving sisters at the time, um, a cousin, you know, folks like that to start rounding out the picture. But a lot of obvious people like Ken Mansfield, uh, who knew and, and, and actually talked to Mal on his last afternoon, uh, were, were obvious choices because I wanted to start filling in those blanks as soon as possible. Um, you know, so, I mean, the family is invaluable because... You know, Mal only lives 40 years and he doesn't meet the Beatles till he's 27. <laughs> so, you know, the math tells me that I need to really get in there and and learn a lot about the family. Uh, so that was extremely important. I also got to talk to some of, you know, Mal's childhood friends, et cetera. Um, I mean, in a lot of ways, those were the most important conversations uh, to fill in those blanks, because you can't tell somebody's story if it just starts in January 63 with the Beatles, right? Um, that's actually diminishing Mal uh, to do so. So um, a lot of those folks I caught in the nick of time, you know, you know, Ken, you knew Ken Mansfield too, kid, and he's no longer with us or 
uh, certainly um, Alan White was wonderful. Um, uh, the great uh, Badfinger curator and scholar Dan Matavina did a lot of work for this book, actually, uh, providing us with all the stems of Mal's uh, Badfinger and Ivy's productions, um, providing us with early takes of the sessions that produced that top five hit no, no matter what. So, you know, folks like that, and Dan is sadly no longer with us, too. He really he really stepped up for us and actually provided us with access to Billy Collins' diaries. Billy Collins, of course, uh, the paranoid manager of Bad Finger. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. We learn about that in the book. <laughs> for sure. Boy, that's that is amazing. What a lot of lot of work. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's get to uh, questions here. So, uh, Tom, why don't we start uh, with you? Well, thank you, uh, Kit, and and thank you again, Gary and and Ken, for being here. Really appreciate it. Um, Gary, I want to I want to just read a little bit here, real quick, and I want to would like to get your thoughts on this little segment of the book here. Um, speaking of the diaries, uh, which which Ken had brought up a minute ago, um, at 11 a.m. on June 23rd, 1966, Mel, the band, and the rest of the uh, entourage boarded a plane for a flight to Munich, and that's when Mel's anxiety got the better of him. Uh, premonition overflowing, overwhelming force took hold of him. I knew at that moment I was going to die, he wrote. In a flourish, he started composing a hasty last will and testament. I am Mel, uh, Malcolm Frederick Evans, married to a truly adorable wife, Lily, he began. I have so much to live for. My wife and I, I guess, worship, excuse me, Lord, our son, Gary, four and a half years, and Julie Suzanne, now nearly 11 weeks old, he continued. I have prayed to God and I meant it, a thing I have done not since of you, he added. Please tell her children some of the bad things about me. I will uh, appear human, not being perfect in so many ways, not perfect in any way, but God's child who loves his fellow man. As the plane prepared for takeoff, Mel wrote, I feel quite, I feel quite calm about dying and I hope that I can face death thinking not of Myself, but my loved ones. God knows my sins. Please forgive me. I only hope I have never hurt anyone. I have hurt Lily and Gary. I know, but my love has grown with every passing moment. And with that, Mel felt the power of the jet's racing engines sliding forward, pressed back, and in the seat, wheels are off the ground. And a final floor, she wrote, love me back to you, Lil, Gary, Julie. I love you. Um, really teary-eyed when I read that. It's a uh, you know beautiful piece, Gary. I mean, what did you think about that when you uh, you had first you know saw that? Uh, that sums my dad up. I think. Um, on some levels, he overthought an instant. Mm -hmm. I think uh, whether it's it seems like a premonition of his death. You know, ten years later. Uh, yeah, it, it resonates really strangely with me that he could write all that down in, in that little blue notebook. Uh, yeah, I, I think it, it gives you more questions than answers, that mm. book read out. Yeah, re really perplexing, but quite simple on another level 
Yeah, right. I, I'm muffling a bit because the whole, that whole premise of what you just read for me is, you know, one, on one level, Dad, come on, get a grip. We're all going to die. Right. Um, right. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't really know 100% how to answer the question. No. Um, and then follow up to that, when, when did you realize, really realize who your dad worked for? Uh, I, I knew the guys as friends, but uh, as for being the Beatles, I guess it would have been about six, August 66, maybe, when we came back to the last tour. Uh, yeah, so I would have been coming up when the penny dropped and I realised they, they were the Beatles, not just four of his friends. Mm. <laughs> Um, a couple, 67 is a, just a, what a year for, for your dad. Um, but, but Ken, um, really quick, if we can just talk about two trips that he took, uh, in, in 67, one being to, uh, with, with Paul to, to Denver, and then the next being in going to, uh, Rome with, uh, with Ringo, but, uh, that Denver trip to, uh, to meet up with, uh, with Jane, who was, uh, performing, well, I think Romeo and Juliet, uh, celebrating her 21st birthday, uh, Ken. But, uh, you know, and then he also, he was a fan of swimming. He, I mean, they did a little road trip, right? A little explore, exploration. He got to do it for a big swim uh, there. But, I mean, was it was it all just fun? Or was there, because it seemed like, you know, he had to do a little security while he was there as well, right? Or um, at some point, or just was it mainly just fun? Uh, this was April of 67, I believe. I'm sure that he was always thinking by that point about, you know, safety issues. Um, I think he, you know, by then he had been on the 65 and 66 American tours. Um, you know, they were sensitized to the fact that the world could be dangerous, that not everybody had their best interests at heart. And you can see, by the way, when you start to really study Mal's photographs, you can see his his look change. He starts to look like yeah. a guy who is you know becoming mindful about their surroundings um but at the same time you know what what makes him uh it made him i'm sure such a wonderful traveling partner for our two surviving beetles on those trips and uh, what makes gary a great traveling partner actually is just the interest in being a tourist right and seeing things and and not wanting to you know stay claustrophobic in some room but to see what's going on out in the world and uh, you know, clearly Paul gravitated toward Mal for that very thing. He was, uh, you yeah. know, it was quite literally fun to be with and, uh, you know, would elevate would elevate the trips. Uh, Gary's mother said more than once that, you know, they would fight over him. Who gets Mal? Uh, because, <laughs> you know, because, you know, you would have a better time. You know, some people are a good time. And, and Mal, you know, by then, of course, they're kind of, they've been warped a little bit. I don't mean that in a negativistic way by fame. Mal just wants to talk to anybody and everybody. So, you know, he, he, he's happy to be the one who, who gabs about. Right. Um, later that year, then he goes to Rome with Ringo for, uh, for the, the, the filming of uh, Candy, uh, which has a lot of, you know, aging, aging, you know, I guess you can still say A-list stars. I mean, you still got Burton and Elizabeth Taylor. You got uh, Brando. And, um, you know, getting to walk the beach with Marlon Brando had to have been 
you know, one of those fly on the wall type moments, you know, anything <laughs> involving Marlon Brando uh, had to have been quite interesting. But, but again, that was an all expenses paid uh, trip for, for, for Mel. I mean, just, on the on the uh you know for for Ringo I, I whether was he helping or was again was this just another business trip or for fun uh you know or it, security it, I think it was both right I mean again yeah. Mal's handy to have around um mm. Ringo's now going to Italy <laughs> uh you know <laughs> it makes good sense to have Mal with him uh you know he would take the first trip to Rishikesh right so you know he he was often the fellow in that role um, for very good reason. Um, you know, it, it, you mentioned the the moment with Brando and and maybe I should have underscored this more in the book. I don't know. But what I love about those instances is Mal, of course, is fawning over Elizabeth Taylor and Burton and Brando, et cetera, mm. when, you know, he's with the biggest act in the world. <laughs> right. <laughs> they, they don't even begin to cross genres or demography in the same way that the Beatles do by that point. I mean, it's not even it's not even a question. It's not even a race anymore, you know, and they are A-listers, you know, for sure. Right. Uh, but it, it's interesting how, you know, they've been experiencing for quite some time at that point fame. And yet there is another level and malice is existing inside of that, you know, that world. Right. Um, it is in the book, so I'll bring it up. You don't have to to uh, expand on it, but uh, reading about Mel's uh, first uh, first uh, experience with acid was was quite uh, was quite funny. <laughs> I thought that was quite humorous. But um, but Gary, going back to you, talk a little bit about this little the, the book uh, tour that you did with with Ken and your sister. I mean, how was that experience for you? Yeah, it was surreal to go back to New York when I was last there in seventy one. With, we stayed with Al Aronovich. And to go past the Statue of Liberty 52 years later was very surreal. Mm. Uh, yeah, the, it was a bit of a sweet tour to what if, what could have been, but definitely very cathartic in the fact that the book's out there, my dead story's out there. Mm people can open Ken's book and see the, the flip side uh, to be, you know, to be embedded with the greatest group in the world. And go, going back to um, what Ken said about my dad wanting to talk to everybody, that's, if you're born in Liverpool, that's in your DNA. You have to communicate. You have to be nosy. You, you know someone's life history in five minutes. So, yeah, that's... <laughs> That, that's going back to what Ken said about my dad. Um, yeah, especially my dad. He was more than interested in people's um, lives, you know. Um, you, you, you could say, uh, especially if they were, had a pretty face, odies with the world's most big, biggest act, I guess. Right. Yeah, but, Promoting the book was a really good experience, and uh, yeah, it, it just went in a, in a very and got back here, and you think, wow, did that just happen? Of course, it happened. Right. Well, you're you're coming back in February, right? To for the Festa Beetle fans, you and your sister. Uh, my sister will be, but unfortunately, the underlying health conditions, I won't be there this time. Oh, okay. Well. 
that's too bad. I was looking forward to meeting you, but I'll uh, I'll chat I'm, with I'm Julie. Sure. Yeah, I'm sure I'll, we'll meet up at some point. Okay. Tom froze. Okay. Oh, he's frozen. <laughs> All right. He warned that could happen. Uh, okay. Well, then we will uh, move on to Joe. Uh, Joe, what uh, what questions do you have? Well, one of them, I, I'm just going to follow up. I was going to save it for the end. I did. I was under the impression that Gary might be at the the fest for Beatles fans. But one of the questions I was wondering, Gary, um, I, I like the section in the book first where your dad went to the 1975 Beatle Fest. And he was so thrilled, like a big kid, having a great time, felt like Elvis in a way. You know, people wanted yeah. to see him. He was so happy. And I was just wondering, now that you, you're just, I guess you get, you're starting out, you're going to some book launchings and stuff. Has, has that passed on to you a little bit, that excitement? Do you feel like you're getting to be something of a, a celebrity as you go through this? I mean, how does it feel? Very micro celebrity. Uh, I don't think I, if I'd have been in my dad's position, I wouldn't have embraced wanting to be up front and centre as much as he did. He was very much a showman, as well as working for the boys, you know. He wanted a bit of the showbiz um, and go for it. Uh, that's not in my remit. So I would quite, you know, I, I, I'll embrace it, but I, I won't push it. But enjoy it. Enjoy I'll, it. I've enjoyed it so much. Yeah, that's for sure. Okay, great. All right. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about songwriting because uh, well, one thing when I watched the Get Back film, there's a a part in there where you see Mal su suggesting lyrics, helping Paul with Long and Winding Road, and Paul seems so much to value uh, Mal's input. You know. And, of course, I know how close they were and everything. And uh, I remember, I always, I always mention this to people, back in, oh, I'm going to say 76, maybe 1976, I was like 14 or so, and I, I, I was recording a radio program that had a lot of interviews. And I remember, I don't have the tape anymore. I had it for a while, but not anymore. And I remember Mal speaking about writing, as he said on the tape, 50-50, uh, two songs on Sgt. Pepper, and that's covered in the book, too, uh, in a section about, um, you know, what was going on and uh, how he helped write Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band and also Fixing a Hole. And I'm just wondering if, if you can tell us, how, you know, Ken, or, you know, uh, perhaps, um, what you know, elaborate on that a little bit, what happened with the, you know, the Lennon and McCartney credits and all that kind of thing. I mean, we, uh, you know, Gary, correct me if I'm wrong, because we thought a lot about this and how to represent it. And, you know, obviously it's Mal's story. We're telling Mal's story. We're representing his experiences and what he believed to happen. He did take contemporaneous notes uh, on everything. Uh, so, you know, it's it's a text with a lot of authority. But putting all that aside for a moment, I mean, he described working around as two friends around what was it gary a painted piano yes. and uh you know uh composing those songs together um he doesn't go into a lot of detail about them um folks will be able to see more next year with the when we have the diaries and and his book published uh mal's you know mal's manuscripts published but 
um, you know, all we can do is really report what he he says happened. Um, uh, he obviously lived for a time with Paul and had the incredible experience of being in that music room and watching those great songs be created. But in his mind, uh, you know, the, not just in his mind. I mean, he's reporting conversations he had. So um, but as far as the specifics, you know, I, we know some specifics like the line he wrote for Here, There and Everywhere. This one has been a little slightly frustrating, right, Gary? Because we can't say he wrote this verse of fixing the hole. <laughs> yes, it's he. He never went into. It was a, a broad palette when he described how he interacted with Paul on those two songs. I'm sure in the studio, um, '63 to you know the '70s, that he would have been the sounding board. And he would have thrown in the odd word or line. It's, people are very critical of, uh, and dismissive of people who do, you know, give, the, give them the odd line or odd word. And they say, at what point do you need the songwriting credit? And that's, that's a very grey area. And uh, of course, if I may, Paul Paul had said, you know, Lennon and McCartney was so big at the time, still is, of course. But you know, would it be okay if if we didn't put Lennon McCartney Evans on it? Yeah, and uh, so. Mal, Mal Mal said in that interview that I remember very distinctly from all those years. He said, "Oh, I didn't care. I loved them too much." Then that's so him, isn't it? I mean, that's exactly. You know, at the end of the day, his whole his remit, right, Gary and and Neil's too, was to see them be, you know, successful. And of course, they believe so much, and and rightly so, as we all know in that wonderful music that they wanted to see it last for centuries, which it will. Good job, everybody. You know, um, so I I don't know that that was as harmful as. Uh, maybe need a little, maybe needing a little extra money in '67. <laughs> Well, yeah, that would have might have helped, right? But it didn't happen because I, I don't mean to belabor this, but I keep thinking. I remember Paul, according to Mal in that interview, saying, uh, "Oh, but you know, you'll get your royalties, you know, and that." And I think that's also in the book. But that Paul had said that, but then in the end, in the book, it says Mal said no royalties though on on it at the in the at the end of the day, it didn't happen. Yeah, um, my dad very poignantly put. Um, entry, uh, perhaps now a new home, alluding to the fact that he mm. thought he would get some payment for, in, for his endeavours with the time. Yeah. Well, he, he got, but like you say, he. I think also in that thing, I remember him saying, are you kidding? He said, imagine travelling uh, with the Beatles, uh, going around the world. He says, there's it was a hundred mile line of people that would take my place. He said, so he was just happy, just to, anyway. Although money never hurts, but he was happy. Yeah, but not thing. necessarily out those hundred miles. You know, directly influenced Beatles songs, which I know my dad did. Okay, um, uh, if I can just move on, there's a couple of little things. Well, I, you know, I, well, something that I learned in the book that I, I didn't know, I don't know if this was common knowledge or not, but I, I didn't realize that there was such a clash between Brian Epstein and Mal in some ways, like Mal, Mal what Mal, how he was dressed, how he would present himself. I don't think it was common knowledge at all, right, Gary? I mean, <laughs> um, no. I, I certainly didn't know it. It kind of, when you think about it, makes a little bit of sense. Um, you know, Brian had very specific ideas about image and uh, Mal, 
learned very quickly that he wasn't just the Beatles road manager. When they'd go on those package tours, he was often everybody's road manager because nobody else could afford to have roadies. You know, having two seemed outlandish at the time. And of course, the Beatles probably needed a thousand and not two uh, to protect them and to deal with everything that was happening on those crazy tours. So, you know, Mal was handling sometimes three and four acts on a, on the bill. And uh, for that for that reason, he felt like he didn't need to wear a tie. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's wearing his button down shirt with the sleeves rolled up, that common look he had was the right way to go about that. And Brian, as we all know, and we've known since we were all young Beatles lovers reading about them for the first time, Brian was about image and that was his job. So there was a kind of a natural clash there, you know, that, that came about. And, uh, and the fact that Brian kept coming back to it really frustrated Mal. You can tell that he's like, really, we're having this conversation again. We had this last year. I think there was a uh, argument between my dad and Brian. For example, when we went to Paris, stayed in the George Tank Hotel, my dad had to pay for our expenditures, you know, for the travel and, and hotel stay, which would have been quite a chunk of money out of. You could say Brian could have been a bit generous and paid maybe half or all of it, but different times, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, the final thing I, I wanted to mention here before, like like uh, Ken Michaels, I have a chance, is it's not, I guess there's not much uh, I want to say except an observation, unless you can, you know, add anything to this. But uh, I was very interested reading the section, looking forward to it, about in 1965 when the Beatles and with Mal too got to meet Elvis Presley. Now, of course, Elvis was, was Mal's favorite, and I think there's even a part of there where Paul, Paul was saying, like, "Hey, he likes something to the effect that he likes uh, Elvis better than us." So you, but you're you're his favorite, biggest fan. And what I, what I liked about it, this is my observation, is over the years, I, it, it's so disappointing there are not a lot of photographs. I think there's there's one photograph from outside or something. You see a car, you know, but they, they didn't record. Um, you know, uh, music, and, and now we know there's a, there's a big jam session for at least an hour. But that's what my observation is that with all the people we've heard things from over the decades, from uh, the Beatles entourage, the Elvis Presley entourage, I think Mal, what he has in, in his memoirs, is the most reliable. I mean, I also kept a journal for many years, and I would write things right away down. And and, and that's important because um, people remember things differently. Even the Beatles seem to be saying different things. But I think Mal really nearly nails it there, you know. From my perspective, uh, 69 Tithurst Park, which unbeknown to the four guys, was the last time they were going to be photographed together. Perhaps when they met Elvis, they thought, oh, in the near future, we'll get together with Elvis again. Of course, that didn't happen as a group with the guy. I think a couple of them met up with him as individuals. Perhaps they thought, well, it's not really that important. We'll get together with El again, and we'll have some photos at that point. Calling him El, too. And that's a really cool photo in there of Colonel Tom Parker giving Mal a girl's, girl's, girl's robe for Elvis, an Elvis movie, which is really, 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 he must, have been, he must have been so thrilled. He must have been really, really blown away by that. That's it for me right now. 
Thank okay. you. All right. Okay, Ken. Well, since you mentioned Elvis Presley, I just wanted to point out that I thought it was really interesting that in 1971, Elvis called Mel <laughs> on the phone for Easter to wish him a happy Easter. Elvis didn't call the other Beatles. <laughs> but Especially he, John. Yeah. I mean, Mal must have been blown away by that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember my mom shouting upstairs, Mal, it's Elvis. <laughs> I've never seen someone get out the bath so quick, dripping wet, chatting to the guy for 15, 20 minutes. Amazing. Wow. I wish I'd picked the phone up. <laughs> <laughs> Dad, it's Elvis. <laughs> That's really something that he thought of Mal, of all people, to call. It just shows how highly he thought of him and how he remembered him. Well, I remember Paul told, when, in the first time Paul talked to him, he said, I'm going to put Mal on the phone. He's actually your biggest fan. Ahead of the other guys, yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask uh, both of you. Um, Ken, you mentioned how Gary and Julie helped a lot with the book. Um, what about Lily? You know, um, Mal's wife during that whole time period. Um, was she very helpful in in your writing this book, or was it maybe something too painful for her to to deal with? Well, um, unfortunately, you know, one of the first interviews I wanted to have, and and Gary made it clear with it, just really wasn't possible. Was with Lily. She was already su suffering from pretty advanced state of dementia at that point you know she died earlier this year and uh in fact gary posed he said do you want to ask her some things i'll try and i gave him some questions and what did she say it was really funny it was like she said the name of an ice cream or something when you asked her questions yeah the, 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 there's no sensible answer. i can't re remember exactly yeah, we, we weren't going to have any traction with my mom unfortunately yeah. Now, the saving grace, though, was um, uh, Julie was able to find uh, what few papers really Lily had kept. And uh, she had done an interview with a British journalist around um, 2000 or so, maybe 2004. And um, it was quite, uh, quite lengthy and uh, unpublished. And um, fantastic because you know because it was an interview hitting the high points of her experience uh you know with mal and and with the beatles i was able to quote it throughout the book um and it was just fabulous and it actually gave us some confirmation on a number of of, of gary's memories that we were trying to see you know when did that happen how did that happen and there it was mm. in this incredible interview um just uh uh, unpublished, which is uh, I'm I'm, I'm I'd love to know. I haven't been able to find out why it didn't go to print because uh, it was quite interesting. But um, in any event, just the saving grace for us as far as Lily went. Plus, talking to surviving relatives helped too. My yeah. mom always said that. Uh, apparently, it was a quote from Paul that Lily will be the only one of us, you know, the Beatles and their entourage who remembers all the rest. <laughs> She would be in, she did the odd spliff and stuff, but she, you know, she was the one who would have these things. Unfortunately, uh, it was about 10 years too late to, to interview her on that front. 
Mm. Now, you were just alluding to something a few moments ago, and I wanted to bring this up because I was stunned to learn when the Beatles performed at the Olympia Hotel in Paris that Mal was asked to pay for his way for his hotel room and and transportation and all that. And then later on, in 68, for Rishikesh, he had to pay for his airfare to go there, correct? Yes. Indeed. Originally, he wanted, he wanted you, Gary, and Lily to go. Yes, I'm a sister. But he couldn't afford that. I mean, yeah. this is the biggest band in the world. <laughs> you, you're telling me in their budget, I, I find it hard to believe. And also looking through the whole history, which you go through, Ken, of how much uh, Mal was paid. It went all the way up to 38 pounds a week. And I think even after that, it didn't really change. It moved into the 40s. But yeah, uh, you know, I Mr. Lewison was really helpful on this. Um, and in fact, we owe so much of a special thanks to Mark. He uh really before we even started doing some of the work, stepped in and was helping um, spend hours on Zoom with me going over different issues, you know, re reconsidering things. He ran down several alleyways for us trying to find some information we wanted. He was often as Mark Lewison would be very successful in doing so. Hmm. Um, but one of the things that came up was money and how to understand, you know, what Mal was paid and how to understand um the issue you just brought up, Ken, about, you know, the fact that George Martin had to pay his way too to uh, New York City when when they went on the Sullivan trip. Right. And in fact, uh, Judy, his uh, girlfriend at the time, had to stay at what the, the Y or something or, or or some college dorm or something like that. So um, there just was a different mindset about those things. You know, they kept really tight books. Um, you know, Brian kept really tight books on where the money went, who was uh, spending money this way and that way. And uh, he'd only been dead a little while, of course, when they went to Rishikesh. I think when you start to look at moments after that, um, you're, you'll see that they are, in fact, paying for everything, as you just described, Ken. Um, you know, as they got further and further away from NIMS and the kind of control they had over accounting, we have several scenes that we were able to recount um, where Mal had to bring in material to meet with the accountants and, uh, you know, turn in receipts and that, that of that nature. But it really was different, you know, from the way we have expectations now that if you're going on a company trip and you're told your family can go along, you expect to have the run of the house, right? Mm -hmm. You expect that, you know, I do, um, you know, I expect, uh, you know, that that I'm going to to have that kind of a fringe benefit. It just wasn't the case back then. You know, I mean, remember George Martin, when all of this was happening, was paid the same as everybody else to the penny, um, you know, uh, at, at EMI. And um, <laughs> they, that I think this I think inside that that story of, of how folks were paid and how Neil and Mal maintained parity. Right. Um, is is just shows a different attitude about the workforce. You know, this is before insurance was a fringe benefit, right? You know, and those sorts of things. So it was just, a, as Gary said earlier, different times. Yeah, I just seem to think that, you know, even in the beginning of Apple, they're hiring people who I'm sure were not cheap. They're hiring Ron Cass. You know, they're bringing Derek Taylor back. 
And I'm sure that just because of the fact that Derek was friends with them, you know, I'm maybe his salary wasn't as much as it would have been for some, for, for another company. But still, it just seemed like Mal seemed to make less than everybody else. And maybe I'm wrong. Um, and even when Neil when Neil got married, the Beatles bought a, a posh flat for him in Knightsbridge. So it just seemed like I wanted to know. I, I know we all love the Beatles. We don't want to say anything bad about them. But do you think that in a way that maybe they took advantage of Mal? Because let's face it. There's so many people in the world that would work for nothing for them, you know, and Mal loved the Beatles so much. The money didn't matter as much. Well, I think there's a lot of truth in what you're saying. My dad, if he could have done, would have done it free. Even mm -hmm. when we moved down in 67 to somebody on Thames to be in the middle of the four boys, my dad paid for all of his moving costs. I mean, come on, Dad. Is that my dad's fault for not saying to the boys, you know, I need uh, 50 quid or whatever it was? A lot of money back in the day. You know, I've just moved down to be in the middle of you guys. Uh, yeah, there was a lot. And at one point, my dad gave a month's uh, pay to a charity. We didn't have any money. I remember the argument as if it was yesterday between my parents. So they, I think it's. 50-50 should have been more proactive. They should have thought outside the box sometimes about how they treated uh, Neil and my dad, you know, differently in, in a lot of respects. There's even a moment in the book where, where Mal goes to George Harrison. This is, I think, around the time of All Things Must Pass or right after it and says he's broke. Yeah. Around the time that he gave a month's pay to the guide yeah <laughs> come on yeah uh, it's we going back to the Zach incident where Zach's saying you're poor you're poor uh -huh. we weren't poor but we weren't getting much out of the whole thing right yeah uh, and you got to factor in the fact that whether he was on 34 40 pound a week he did so many uh, on a whim, they'd say, Mal, go, you know, the gopher's side of being a roadie, go and pick up the guitar, go and do this. He was always on standby, on call, and he must have done so many extra hours over and above what he, he really should have been doing. Especially for the story. Yeah. Uh, Ken and Gary, do you think that, I mean, Mal is known so much for being a roadie, but we all know, especially from reading the book, all the various tasks that he did for the band. Do you think he enjoyed the early years better when they were on the road? Or did he enjoy the studio years more? Uh, Paul was quoted as saying his favorite Beatle was which in the back, you know, in the sub-zero temperatures. And I guess when everything was brand new to my dad and the... the, the, the Palette was fresh and they were going to fill in that great big void with their magic, you know. I guess that if you always look back to when something, you know, when you're a, when you're a kid, when you're young and the whole of your life's in front of you, I think my dad would have really, if he could go back to five minutes, it would be with them at that early point. But he would have embraced every second that he lived with them. Hmm. And I, I always allude to the fact that the, the space race, you know, strong in 61 62, 
on the moon in 69, the trajectory of what the Beatles did was incredible. And I don't think, because it was such a, um, moved along in their world, in their space, uh, relatively slow but fast with technology coming in on how they produce music. I, I, I don't think they really were aware of the arc that they all travelled on. I, I, I wish I could have had 10 minutes with my dad just to talk about more Beatles stuff and his interaction with them and, and you know, his favourite moments. I guess they were all favourite. They must have all been favourite moments. If you look at what he did, I'm absolutely amazed at how embedded, I keep saying embedded, but more embedded than my dad was with those guys. He was he was the main guy to, to live and breathe the Beatles story. There's a really interesting quote here that I want to read from Mal, which is uh, on page 164 in the book. Uh really says a lot. He says, by 1966, the Beatles were in a car that was going downhill very fast. Mm -hmm. This is not to say that their career was going downhill, but they were a media juggernaut that was increasingly out of their manager, Brian Epstein's control and everyone else's, for that matter. It wasn't so much that somebody was pressing the accelerator too hard. It was that nobody had their foot on the brake. What a powerful quote that is. Wow. Right there. Mm -hmm. That's, that's amazing, yes. That's I wonder if they felt the same tension that he did, you know, being the one who is sort of living equidistant between them and running all over the place and not having enough hours in the day. Uh, if he was even, he might have been feeling that more acutely. I, I remember thinking that at the time when I read that. Yeah, with his lifestyle at that time, yeah. Sure, you know, and and... The hardships that came with it, you know, and and the sacrifices, et cetera. Um. Hmm. Okay. Before I pass you back to Kit, I wanted to get into another part of the book that I was really surprised to learn. We all know how much Mal was a champion of the the Ivies, the band that became Badfinger. But early on, Peter Asher was not impressed with them. The Beatles, even Paul, was not impressed with them. It took a while before they warmed up to the Ivies. Um, I found that really interesting. You know, maybe you can comment on that, Ken or or Mal. I mean, um, Peter was wonderful. Uh, he jumped on Zoom with me during COVID to cover, you know, these issues. And, uh, you know, <laughs> he was kind of lukewarm. He said, you know, I didn't know if they were good or not, but Mal had enough clout to say we're doing bad things, or the Ivies, and that, that was good enough for me. Um, it, you know, Mal heard something really special there, and, and he obviously was right. He was a great judge of talent. Mm. The bad finger section is the most heartbreaking for me because it, it you know, there are people who you love, who you're going to love even more after this book. George Harrison, to me, has the finest moment in the book. Um, but the ones you're going to hate, you're probably going to hate more. And and Alan Klein earns so much extra scorn, frankly, for what he does to Mal, uh, knowing that Mal is a vulnerable person, is a sensitive person, you know, um, I, I'm, I feel confident that most of that was payback for not being able to fire Mal and Neil. He made their lives hell. 
Um, you know, he drove Neil to some serious substance abuse and, and just Neil was a mess, as we know, with alcohol in the early 70s. And what he does with Mal uh, by denying him just the simple ability to work with Badfinger, hmm. um, who love him, by the way, it was mutual. Yeah. Um, and uh, and of course, we all know the repercussions of that. It it hurts Mal deeply. He has a top five hit with him and he's not allowed to work with them by that point while his, the hits up at the top of the charts. Um, and at the same time, of course, it's bad for them. I mean, they are rock and roll's greatest tragedy. Mm. Uh, you know, that, that move allowed uh, Billy Collins to have a, another terrible moment. And then of course, let Stan Polly in and, and we know where everything goes from there. It just is uh, that to me is the most heartbreaking part. And it might've life might've been different for Mal if he'd been able to really fully uh, work with uh, Badfinger and, and roll with them um, and, and, you know, take that. They had so many more phases left, didn't they? You know, if you think about them being sort of like the Beatles, you know, the Ivies are their early Beatles phase. They're now a power pop group. Um, we watch their songwriting develop and then just every rotten thing happens to them. Couldn't the Beatles go to bat for Mel? Couldn't they go to Alan Klein? I know Paul wouldn't, but, you know, considering this is their friend that they love so much. And also, would you happen to know what the Beatles thought of Mal as a producer? Um, I, I don't know that answer. So I did a lot of work, a lot of investigative work, talking to people um, who were at sessions that Mal produced. And, uh, you know, I talked to Joey Molland, whom right. you all know, and Joey was quite clear that Mal shaped that song, that he stayed down. He wasn't up in the booth. He was down with them in the well of the studio, putting their arrangement together, making the song better, which frankly, he should know how to do at that point. Uh -huh. um, now, remember, part of the problem for Mal and Alan Klein is that happens in 1970. Paul has already sued them. So, you know, I'm not sure anybody's going to bat for anything as 1970 wears on. You know, all uh, by that point, um, the battle lines are drawn. This is after Paul makes the announcement. I mean, Mal goes with Badfinger to Hawaii in June 1970 to the Capitol Convention and everything's hunky-dory. So I don't know that they were any in any position uh, to to know to go to bat you know, in the way, in the way you're describing, um, you know what I, you know what I mean? I think maybe the time had already passed when they could have done something. Um, I mean, John, by then there's some misgivings that they're just not stating yet about what they know about Mr. Klein. Um, <laughs> and of course, George is going to learn an even bigger lesson. And all I mean, the money when, when Paul sues, I mean, they're all their money is tied up anyways. I mean, how much help could they really have given Mel? I don't know that they couldn't. And remember, the only reason that we have that wonderful hit, uh, what uh, I think we're say is safe to say is Alan Steckler, you know, going through the material and saying, you know, yo, Klein, this is worth money, dude, <laughs> you know. Um, because he wasn't interested in really any Apple acts by that point. Interesting. It's I just, know a, that, um... you know, Tony Bramwell speaks movingly too about just all the money that 
they gave up with the lucrative publishing operation they'd put together that they should have just kept that going and um you know and he just couldn't communicate alan couldn't hear him when he would try to communicate how this is a gold mine right here hmm interesting I know years ago when I interviewed Joey Marlin, he told me that he he loved Mal as a producer and he gave them the sound that he felt Badfinger should have had, a much more raw sound, not polished. He told me he was disappointed with what Todd Rundgren would do with the band. Of course, this is many years ago he said that to me, but he loved the approach that Mal took because that was the real sound of Badfinger. Yeah, a little bit of edge, right? A little reverb on the, you know. Yeah. And actually, no matter what is such a great example of that. You can hear that kind of, you know, that that sort of thundering metal just underneath. Mm. Exactly. Yep. All right, Kit. Back okay. to you. Okay. Um, uh, before we wrap this up, I have a couple of questions. Obviously, our viewers and listeners were very excited when they heard that uh, you both were going to be with us. And so uh, I uh, normally we do this live and, and um, people would be asking questions. But of course, due to uh, uh, time zones and everything, we uh, couldn't do it live. So I invited uh, people to submit questions to us. So I picked uh, just a couple of uh, interesting questions. And so one comes from Owen Lang, who um, many of us know. He's a great uh, rock journalist and author. And um, and so either of you um, can answer uh, this. So uh, he asked, how did, uh, and this is a perfect transition. Thank you, uh, Ken Michaels, for doing this. Um, how did Mal get on with Badfinger, who he says were notoriously singular about their work? <laughs> so how did wow. he Well, I'm going to, immediately turn it to Gary but yeah, he loved them and he threw himself so headlong into everything they were you know I mean he said to them I'm going to treat you like the Beatles that's what you deserve and 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 gave them that kind of treatment but Gary I mean they were a key part of your family's social life for years yeah you they know? used to come around once a month for the Sunday lunch at one point and uh, Tom especially really loved my dad and Lose Pete and my dad within eight months by hanging and my dad's demise, of course. Um, Tom was never the same again. And when John Lennon um, died, Tom, I, I caught him on a very sad day. He said, I want to die like John Lennon. I want people to love me. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to be alive anymore. <laughs> and this is three years before he took his own life. Two weeks before Tom did take his own life, we were around his house. And as we left, I think I've told you, Ken, that I looked into Tom Evans' eyes and they were black like a shark. And I said to my mum, the next time we see the guy, he's going to, you know, he'd been threatening suicide for quite a while. Um, so Tom was totally, totally in love with. You know, he really loved Pete, he loved my dad, he loved being part of Badfinger. So that they all love, I think they all love my dad. Um, there's that famous photograph of most of wrestler where the six of them have been manhandled around like toys. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and I think that summed up the, the relationship of the group with my dad. 
that he was this big cuddly bear of a guy that they could relate to. And the irony is, if my dad in the 60s had said, no, rubbish, Pete and Tom most probably wouldn't have ended up committing suicide. On the other hand, if my dad had been more proactive and got on board with them, helped them on the financial side, maybe, there would have been a better outcome for especially, you know, the two guys who couldn't take it anymore. But they, we did have a really, really good close relationship with four, four of them and their girlfriend, especially Marianne. Um, yeah, for me, it's very bittersweet because I was an adult when um, Tommy left us, and 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 I'm thinking, could I have helped Tommy? You know, it's the, as Ken said, it is the saddest story in pop music, in rock, rock and roll, the, the, yeah. how bad things ended up. But they really love my dad, and he loves them. Uh, really sad story. And oh. I think Bad Finger are a much better, better band than people give them credit for. I don't think really their music fitted uh the the seventies that you know that was coming in, they were they were much better than people allude to. I, I think they really could have gone on to have so many more hits. But Pete Ham to die aged the fabled twenty seven, so sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I agree. I and I'm I'm glad that. You know, there have been some, you know, shows like Mad Men and, and so forth who have used their music to bring it back, you know, into public, uh, you know, to into new generations. Because I agree. I, I think they had some wonderful hits. And, and you know, maybe you're right that, you know, maybe they were a bit ahead of their time or or something along those lines. But that's wonderful that, that yeah. Mal had such a great relationship with them. And, and uh, but great, saddest, one of the saddest stories and and rock and and uh you know just uh just sad that had to happen with so much talent you know you're you're absolutely right um another question um comes uh from let's see it's uh david uh skidmore uh four 189 uh <laughs> which is did Mel have a favorite Beatle and a or and well and not or a favorite Beatle album? So something a little lighter. Well, it seems like those Gary questions from Mister was it one eighty nine was his last name? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that was. Uh, let me see here. I think it's a uh, four four one eighty nine. Sorry, four one eighty nine. Yeah, get it, get it right, Kim. I will. Yeah, <laughs> Gary. I think the 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 question should be replied to whoever he was with. I think, <laughs> Good answer. I think if you're going on like the romantic note, I think living with Paul for six months and they both really seem to think each other. I think uh, at one point, yeah, my, my dad and Paul were more of a night and um, Paul and John ever were, if you, you know. Uh, not reading anything more than that. But yeah, I, I think they really loved and picked each other, yeah, especially Paul and Matt. And did he have a favorite Beatles album? Uh, um, Let It Be, more than likely. 
So well, the fact that, yeah, you know the backstory to that one. Sure, because he was so involved it, it, in it. I've still got his Let It Be t-shirt. So, <laughs> let, let oh. it be. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, my gosh. Well, wow, this is this has just been uh, a wonderful uh, thing. I mean, full of so many touching stories. And um, and so to uh, wrap it up, just wanted to uh, ask, um, can we get a little sneak preview of what's to come in volume two? What uh, you know, we are just all dying to get that. So what what can we expect in the next volume? So um, uh, the press has given us a, we have four times the photo allotment. So we'll, we have 400 photos we're allowed to go with. Um, be full color, several full pages. Um, we have a we have some more surprises in store for folks that they haven't seen. Um, I'm happy to report. We'll also, of course, have uh, all the diaries um, with annotations. The full man, Mal had three manuscripts. You know, folks will have access to those. Um, he kept voluminous notebooks, correspondence, etc. You know, lots of different ways to bring the story to life. And and ultimately, what Gary and I have been excited about all these years now is that folks can go on their own mal <laughs> investigations, right? And I I think we will find all sorts of new stories uh, as people call over the names that they see mentioned in in various entries, etc. Um, you know, they'll find new stories about Mal and the Beatles and the solo years, uh, et cetera, as he shares his impressions. Um, and and the art itself is going to be quite, quite lovely to look at. I mean, Mal was a great sketch artist. Um, so we have lots of uh, doodles from his diaries. We also have, uh, of course, lots of just beautiful photos that folks are going to see. And of course, you said with that many good artists, Neil Aspinall was an exceptional artist, wasn't he? That mm. Neil seems to be forgotten in the story a, a lot as well. Yeah, they, they, I wouldn't say they took him for granted, but they, they could have blown Neil's trumpet a little bit more, I think. I was going to say earlier, when we we're talking about the compensation to Mal and everything, real quick, um, is that where. John, when John Lennon made that quote, the Beatles were the biggest bees, <laughs> you know, I want to say the B word, you know, on earth or something like that. Is I wonder if that's part of what he meant, you know, when he wasn't, you know, like not getting compensated or forgetting people now and then. I don't think so. You know, I, I always took that quote to mean, you know, what you have to do to achieve what they did. Right. Yeah, he, that's part of the quote, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, I, I didn't. I never took that to mean to have any betrayal of guilt over folks like Mal or Neil, but I don't know. Do you guys have a different read on that? <laughs> I, I'm trying not to say the word, Joe. I'm trying to be, you know, polite. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm gonna it's watch the it. family yeah. show. That's right. <laughs> yeah, boy, I think if I could have five minutes of just uh, of uh, like any time with the Beatles, I think. Uh, the five minutes that I would go for maybe would be in, uh, on the set of help when Mal comes up through the ice and <laughs> says white cliffs of Dover. Maybe, maybe that would be the five minutes I'd pick. The yeah, I pick. I, yeah. I told them Gary, how you were asking people. Uh, yeah. yeah. About if you could have five minutes. <laughs> it was, and everybody would have a different five minutes. Some would go. Sure. 
but you, you know, if I if I could have five minutes with with Mal, I would have just begged him to hang on. I know that he was oh. suffering from demons that none of us understand, uh, and that's what brought things to a head on January fourth, nineteen seventy six, and and all that's heartbreaking, right? Um, but what I would say to him is just hang on. You you have no idea the joys that are going to come to you in in far flung times, right? 1987 with the release of the CDs and and you know just one event after another from that point forward. All the joy we've been getting revisiting and and enjoying the remixing and remastering of all these great albums. Mal would have been part of all of this. Yeah. And, and, this, yeah. and the compensation by the way would have come for for the Evans family, as it did for the Aspinalls, because he would have been present and just as uh, valuable. They, you know, these these were young nouveau riche guys who needed to get on the other side of a part partnership disillusion, which took not one or two years, but many years to do. And Mal would have been right there in the thick of that, and it that that breaks my heart as much as anything. You know, he would have loved this. Uh, this number one hit right in 2023 and with the release and, of the book right on yeah, yeah. just i i just it breaks my heart that he's not around to experience in this because he loved them every bit as much as we all do uh the the quote we insisted they put on the back of the book right i they were better than food or drink <laughs> and as gary right. told me in our first conversation his dad loved food and drink so they must have been pretty damn good. Absolutely. Well, this is this is a good transition to to my my final question for you guys, which is, what do you want people to take away from from this book? I, I always ask fellow authors this. Um, Ken, why don't we start with you? Sure. I, uh, you know, I, I think about this in the same way I start every one of my Beatles classes here at Monmouth every fall. And I say, this is a true story. These are real people and this is real life. You know, you want to start using words like genius and the best ever. And there are plenty of places where that applies. But this is a real story. You know, one guy's murdered. Another guy dies young of, of cancer, right? Mal is one of these these key parts of this real story. And um, I hope that they come away, you know, they'll they'll know more of Mal's flaws, but they'll also know, know more of Mal's joys. They'll know more of a few of the guy's flaws, too. But it's George Harrison at the end of that book, right, who goes to Lily. And Gary was there that night to say, I'm sorry for any part I had. And I'm, I just feel bad. And, you know, if you didn't love George Harrison before, you love him even more deeply. And and I don't think Gary will mind me sharing this. I mean, we had real life in my classroom just a week ago when we were finishing up Magical Mystery Tour. And we we talked about the Beatles recording um, across the universe, you know. And this is a man who was there for the whole of, most of, no, the whole of Gary's childhood, John Lennon. And, and Gary had to take his leave from the room briefly because we were listening to that beautiful isolated John with the guitar singing across the universe. That's real life, right, Gary? I mean, that's what, yeah. these are real uh, flesh and blood people. After paying my respects to John, the first thing I come across crossing the road is a bulldog coming down. <laughs> I'm thinking, hey, bulldog. Then I looked up at the coach and smiled. And then when we left Ken's place in the Uber, there's a the windscreen's got a big crack in it, 
<laughs> and I'm thinking, and then I look up and say, thanks, Dad. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I don't, it's just coincidence, purely coincidence, but sometimes it's a wonderful coincidence. Oh, my God. What do you want people to know about your dad from reading this book? That think of the Jacob story as four, strand, four strands of those guys' DNA. That's DNAs entwined with friendship, love. It's my dad giving 100% to four guys who best. And by golly, they were the best. Friendship. Well said, sir. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you, this is this is a book, folks, you don't want to miss. Living the Beatles legend. Tom, Joe, Ken, are there any other ending thoughts? Well, well I just want I did sorry I missed it. My internet connection just dropped. Uh, but but any did you guys ask him, Gary, when the last time you saw or spoke to his dad was? No. Mm. Gary? Um, several days before he died, and I had the flu, and I'd lost 14 pounds in weight, uh, and I couldn't get off the settee. So I had shouted across the room, Love you, Dad. Happy New Year. And that's the last he would have heard me. But I did, at that point, I, my mum just uh, shouted across the room what my dad was saying, You know, love your son. Hope it's going to be great. Um, you know, the book's coming out. Hope to see you soon. Uh, but I didn't hear his voice, but my mum spoke for him. Uh, so, yeah, I wish I'd dragged my backside off that settee and to the phone, at least said hello to him personally. But there you go. I had a question. <laughs> I just wanted to know... Um... Ken and Gary, have you given any thought? I know you're very busy with this book and the next one, making a, a movie out of Mal's life. Well, we do have a documentarian who has uh, owned the rights for a good bit now. In fact, we spent time with him when we were in California um, and uh, who is keen on telling Mal's story. Um, I'm sure that there will be a documentary at some point um, we just have too much wonderful material not to. I'm happy to say that I recorded almost every interview, if not every interview, uh, on audio. So those poor people that we don't have anymore uh, are safe and sound on audio files. Good. Um, so we do have a lot of wonderful material. Of course, the the effects themselves. Um, and, you know, so we we have had that in being cooked on uh, being on the burner on a front burner for a while hmm. okay all yeah, right it's such a that, but it happens yeah, the Beatles story was magnificent but with my dad on board i think it's even greater i think my dad's perspective of the Beatles journey would make such a wonderful film agreed definitely absolutely let's go let's go yep sign us up we're we're there <laughs> absolutely well um ken and gary uh do you want to tell us uh are do you have upcoming um appearances uh or anything that uh you'd like to share uh further you know promoting the book any 
uh, other podcasts, in-person appearances, anything uh, you'd You're like with to... Ken Michaels tomorrow morning. So yeah, yeah, well, there's that, of course. You're yes. on a Ken Michaels tour right now, which I recommend for anybody. Mm -hmm. um, Just talk but, to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're hoping we're to put some dates together uh, in London and Liverpool for some book events in the new year. Um, so we can continue the train there. Uh, but we're excited to be working on volume two and, and to get that and make that available. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, hopefully you'll come back uh, to talk more talk. And uh, when that comes out and because after all, Ken, you're the fifth talker. So Hi. you have this to be where here. I learned to talk with you guys. That's right. <laughs> where it all started so hopefully you guys will, will come back and uh when the second book comes out and uh i know we'll have more more to discuss so thank you very much kit oh uh, have, have a great december all of you it's been a pleasure thank and thank you for being so gracious for having me on thank oh, you thank it's, you pleasure it's, it's a happy christmas it's thank it's you. an honor it's an honor and uh so, uh, so this has just been a wonderful conversation and, uh, and thank you all, whether, uh, you're watching or listening to us. And, uh, so this has been a very special talk more talk. So for Ken Michaels, Joe Mayo, Tom Agnati, this is Kiddo Tool. And I think we're going to let Gary have the last word, Gary, um, why don't you ask everybody what you were asking um, at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, ask uh, ask everybody what you were asking about sharing a Beatles memory about uh, what uh, what you were asking about the five going back for five minutes. If you could have five minutes of any time <laughs> history in the recording studio on the set of Hard Day's Night, in the plane getting from A to B in the States. Meeting Albert, which five minutes would you do? All right. Think on that, everybody. <laughs> All right. See you next time. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Peace. Peace and love. Well, that was an incredible uh, interview we had. I mean, what uh, incredible stories they shared. Um, just yeah. And, and, yeah, what a treat to have Gary uh, on as well, sharing those memories of his dad. Um, just a just an incredible show. Um, but uh, since we're doing things a little bit differently uh, for this episode, since we're pre-recording it, <clears throat> excuse me, we are going to do things a little out of order this time. And we are going to do, we usually do the news at the beginning of the show, but uh, we are going to do the news um after the main part of the show we're just mixing it up tonight uh -huh. so uh, <laughs> that's what we unpredictable like. unpredictable that's us <laughs> so uh so ken why don't uh you uh tell us what is all the news that's fit to print huh. maybe i should read the news backwards yeah let's Everybody let's just go them. nuts <laughs> well quite a bit has happened in the last couple of weeks ringo Starr will be returning to Las Vegas with his current all-star band for six dates starting May 22nd next year. Tickets went on sale November 28th for those with fan access and on November 29th to the general public. Ringo was quoted as saying, I've always said I'm my happiest when I'm playing with great musicians and this band is one of the very best. 
Tickets are available at Ticketmaster. And you know what Ringo has done in recent years? He does two tours a year. He usually does a spring tour and a fall tour. These are the first ones to be announced, but I would imagine fairly soon we'll be hearing about other dates in the spring. Amazing. Yeah. Man keeps going. Energizer Bunny. Exactly. Hey, you know, B.B. Uh, King was touring when he was 90. Yeah. Will Nelson is touring and he's Will Nelson is still touring, yes. <laughs> Ringo also gave an interview to AARP in which he addressed the terrible rumors that the Beatles' new song, Now and Then, was made using AI technology to recreate John Lennon's voice. Initially, when announcing the new song, Paul McCartney said it was done through AI and using Peter Jackson's mouse software to achieve that. But he was only referring to separating John's voice on the demo from the piano he was playing. There was no tampering uh, or altering John's voice. There were terrible rumors that it's not John. This is Ringo saying, there were terrible rumors that it's not John, it's AI, whatever BS people said. Paul and I would not have done that. It's a beautiful song and a nice way to finally close that door. You tell him, Ringo. Yeah, I'm glad that he said it. I yeah, mean, I... when we just interviewed Peter Jackson, we were talking about the same thing. Every time you hear about now and then, they bring up AI. Yeah. You know, and it's confusing. What People don't fully understand the whole concept of what it is. Right. Speaking of Ringo, more Ringo news. He's just released another book through Julian's Auctions called Beats and Threads, described as an illustrated journey through the former Beatle drummer's career, featuring images of everything from his drum kits to his trend-setting wardrobes. This is a 312-page book sold through the publishing division of Julian's Auctions. The publisher announced, quote, featuring nearly 300 shimmering images capturing iconic and many never-before-seen intimate moments of Ringo's illustrious life and career, along with the drum icon's warm memories told in his own words. This immense tribute to the enduring influence and time-transcending impact of the Fab Four member is a ticket to ride through fashion and Beatles history. End of quote. Beats and Threads has a list price of $80, along with the signed limited edition in a box set for as much as $750 and a signed unboxed one for $500. And all proceeds will be donated to Ringo's charity, the Lotus Foundation, which offers support for various charitable projects from substance abuse to homelessness. You have another book from Ringo coming out here. Wait a minute. Oh. I remember him a lot of times. Oh, sorry, Tom. You go first. Sounds oh, good. The thing. 250 <laughs> more for a box. Yeah. And no, <laughs> box. Hmm. Which way do I go here? Yeah, that's a tough one. But I remember Ringo distinctly in, in the early 80s, even being on like Merv Griffin and shows like that. And often talking about that he saves all his clothes he saves he has all the suits and all this uh -huh. and all that and he's like a pack rat he's a, ho a hoarder he used to say and uh, apparently it's true <laughs> so hey remember was it was it um on donahue or merv griffin i think it was around the time of the bad boy special what the the host of the show said what did you do with all the money and ringo looked at his money? see this oh, oh see this suit? <laughs> that's it <laughs> yeah that's right i think that was might have been, might have been mike douglas might have been mike douglas could have been all right paul mccartney played a surprise gig on november the 28th to kick off his tour of brazil 
when he played a small club in front of just 300 people. The venue, Club de Juro, hosted the event, and it was announced that morning on social media. Tickets went to fans who already had tickets for his Thursday performance at the Mane Garincha Stadium. Paul did a 22-song set, no surprises in his set list. But it's nice that every now and then he does this in a small club, and you just have to be lucky yeah. <laughs> to find about it, live in the area, and get there in time. Uh, director and actor Rob Reiner is about to make a sequel to his funny and classic mockumentary, This is Spinal Tap, 40 years uh, after making his directorial debut with the film. And it looks like Paul McCartney, Elton John, and Garth Brooks will be making appearances in the film. Reiner revealed this is the uh, in the podcast RHLSTP. I don't know what that stands for with Richard Herring. Uh, the sequel is said to mimic the style of The Last Waltz, the mm. legendary concert film that documented the final uh, tour right. of the Canadian rock group, The Band. And Reiner will begin uh, filming for the sequel in February. So, um, another big fan of this idea. I, I wish they would just leave it alone. I think the the the, the original Spinal Tap is, is for me is such a classic, you know, dot mockumentary. You know that it just, you know, and then they include Paul because you know he's just going to try so hard to be silly. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I just wish, or maybe Rob's just feeling guilty for for uh, not approving. Um, you know, Once Upon a Long Ago and Beautiful Night for uh, uh, that Rob Ryan. Jeez, yeah, but anyway, what I want to know is, uh, are they kind of old, those guys? They were old when they did the first one, the Spinal, <laughs> spinal Tap. But, yeah. But those, I, they put the wigs on. And, yeah, and those, three are, right, those three are classic together. Harry Shearer, Michael McKean, and Christopher Guest. They're, they're fantastic. <laughs> Sorry, Kit, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I agree with you, Tom. I, I have very mixed feelings about this. I mean, that that you know the original is such a classic, so yeah. funny. Uh, you know, can you really top that? I, I just this I one might this it. one might go up to twelve. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Will Fran Drescher be in this though? Yeah. Ooh. I would hope so. I but yeah, I just great. get oh he was oh she was hilarious. But you just think, you know, can you really, you know, are you really gonna top that? Do you really want to mess with a good thing? Right. Oh. Billy Crystal, mine is money. That's uh, <laughs> Ruddles too. Ruddles too. Oh, that was terrible. That was just terrible. Yeah, I mean, there's a good yeah, example. Yeah, there you go, Queen. Good example there. Yeah, yeah. it's we very, were... very tough to top the original. Yeah. Example two: Blues Brothers 2000. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. You trying to send a message to Rob Reiner here on the show? Is that? What yeah. <laughs> Don't do it. Come on, Emmys. <laughs> You can prove it wrong. I mean, yeah, I, I want it to. Be, I want it to be good, but you know, my hopes aren't that high at the moment. Yeah, okay. but you prove might. us wrong, Rob. We'll be happy. We'll be happy to, you know, retract our comments. Sure. Mm -hmm. All right. More news. Guitar World is reporting some big auction news. Gotta have rock and roll. Who is hosting the auction? Will have up for bids. Paul McCartney's. Paul McCartney was here. 1960 Hofner violin bass, which they say will fetch over $300,000. This was played by Paul, who gave it as a gift to a music executive. And Paul signed the top, Paul McCartney was here, which is why it's called that. 
1962 Fender Stratocaster that was a backstage favorite for the Beatles, once owned by Chris Montez, who they toured with along with Tommy Rowe in March 1963, and played by John and George, possibly Paul, who would have had to have played it upside down. Mm. Well, the Strat could go anywhere from $500,000 to a $1 million. The current auctions run December 15th and 16th. For more information, you can visit gottahaverockandroll.com. G-O-T-T-A for gotta, spell out and in rockandroll.com. Also in a new interview in Rolling Stone, Getty Lee said that he was introduced to Paul McCartney by Dave Grohl at one of the Taylor Hawkins tributes, and Paul tried to convince him to have Rush get on the road and tour again. Paul said to Getty, you know what Ringo says, it's what we do. Getty says, quote, that's the way he looks at life, meaning Paul. He's ageless because he really truly believes he was born to do this. That's what you do, and you just do it. You don't question it, and I think we all sometimes forget that. Mm. Getty has just released his own memoir, My Effin' Life. Yeah. That's the you title. Know, that's, that's not the first time Paul has done something like that. I mean, he uh, Barry Gibb had, you know, had that same, you know, kind of, you know, same um, thing where he was going to retire. I mean, after his brothers, the, the, you know, the the Maurice and Robin passed. I mean, he was going to just, you know, he was going to end it. But then Paul was like, no. I mean, this is what we do. I mean, we we are creators. We keep creating. Right. And uh, you know, he talked Barry into continuing his career. Yeah. I know. Well, that's he what said, Paul does. Yeah. <laughs> And thank God he does, but I mean, you know. Well, he said something similar to Eric Clapton when yeah. Eric was talking about not touring anymore. So, yeah. no, you got to keep going. That's what he said. Although I haven't seen it, the Denny Lane Benefit Tribute Concert that took place at the Troubadour on November 27th is available on YouTube where you can stream it. And what I will do is I will send the link to Kit which we can put into our description box if you want to see it. Yep. A lot of great people were mm -hmm. supposed to be there for that show. All right. On the Billboard charts in America, and this could change in just a couple of days, <laughs> the Beatles single for Now and Then, which debuted at number seven and becoming the group's 35th top 10 song, dropped all the way down to number 76. Yikes. Two weeks. On the Billboard album charts, the Blue Album, also known as 1967 to 1970, re-entered the charts at number 15 and then dropped to number 37, while the Red Album re-entered the charts at number 20 and then dropped to number 50. Hmm. Oh, so I should also point out that Now and Then is off the charts. That's it. Two-week run. Wow. wow. Um, we also note that country legend Dolly Parton debuts on the album charts with her double album Rocker, which includes quadruple her cover version of Let It Be. What's that? Quadruple album. Oh, okay. Vinyl. I'm thinking yeah. CDs. Yeah, okay. yeah vinyl. <laughs> I'm still a CD guy. All right. Four LP set. It's at number three on the album charts called Rockstar. And of course, it has that new cover of Let It Be with Paul and Ringo playing on the record. On the UK's official singles charts, Now and Then falls from number six to number 11 after spending two weeks at number one. John and Yoko's Christmas classic, Happy Christmas War is Over, re-enters the charts at number 85. But also, 
they have so many different charts now. For those of you that don't really follow this, when you're talking about the Billboard Hot 100, you're talking about all the results, the physical sales, the digital sales, the streaming. Then they have physical charts, which is just the physical product alone without the streaming. Okay. Um, but the official singles charts um, falls from number six to number 11. I was saying that already for now and then. Happy Christmas re-entering at 85. The official single, uh, the official physical singles charts has now and then holding steady at number one for three weeks. And Ringo's Rewind Forward is at number 20 after spending six weeks on the charts, peaking at number four mm. on their physical charts. Okay. Um, last Tuesday, November 28th, at the memorial service for First Lady Rosalind Carter, Trisha Yearwood and Garth Brooks performed John Lennon's Imagine as a tribute to Rosalind. And you know, you could have made this the first news story because you can't put on your TV set without watching this new commercial from Amazon. Not really totally new. It features three elderly women who go tobogganing. They use the Beatles song In My Life in the commercial, but it's not the Beatles recording. It's an instrumental version, very pretty, played on the piano. Okay. Um, our good friends, The Weaklings, the power pop band that has put out several albums in which they cover well-known and more obscure Beatles songs, mixing them with their originals, will have a new album, their fourth, due out January 19th called Raspberry Park. Uh, their album will include 13 original songs, four uniquely reimagined covers, and there will be two covers of Beatles songs, including I've Just Seen a Face, which recently was, was released as a digital single. The Weaklings are among the many guests appearing at the Fest for Beatles fans this February. All right. That's all the news I got for you this time. Mm. All right. Thank you. Okay. All right. Well, uh, why don't we go around and uh, let everybody know what uh, we're up to. So uh, before we get to that, though, so I don't forget, you can find us uh, many, many places, of course. Uh, you can find us right here on our YouTube channel. Um, we've gotten a number of uh, new subscribers uh, recently, so I want to welcome you all. Thank you for subscribing to our channel. Please tell your friends, and uh, and if you haven't subscribed already, well, what are you waiting for? You just hit that button and uh, and smash that like button, as the kids say. <laughs> um, also, you can find us on Facebook. Um, if you hit the like button there, you will be notified of uh, all our upcoming episodes, and we post things there uh, periodically as well. So follow us there. You can follow us on Twitter at TalkMoreTalk1, um, the, so, uh, the number one, rather. You can uh, find us on the web at talk, uh, TalkMoreTalk.com. Uh, you can also email us at uh, TalkMoreSoloTalk at gmail.com. Uh, you can send us feedback. You can send us ideas for future episodes. Um, you just might find an idea of yours uh, for a future episode. You never know. So, uh, so I think that's everything there. Oh, and you can find us on uh, any virtually any podcasting uh, platform you can think of if you uh, prefer to just listen to us and not see our faces. So <laughs> for whatever reason. Um, so... 
you know, I've heard people like to listen to us as they're working out or, or you know, sitting on the train bus, whatever. Uh, you've got that option too. Say sitting on something else, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, Thomas, I'm not that crude. All right. <laughs> so speaking of Tom, Tom, what are you up to? Well, we've got a bunch of shows on our YouTube and then audio formats. Uh, you can go to Podbean and, and, and check us out, or iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Amazon, you name it, we're there. Our YouTube channel, thank you, everybody, for, for all the new subscribers. Uh, we really appreciate it, and uh, we hope to uh, hear from you in the comment section. We look forward to all your comments. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, upcoming shows, we're going to finish the month with uh, Steve Matteo, uh, or Matteo, sorry, talking about the Magical Mystery Tour. And uh, we're going to have Ken Dashow on, and we're going to talk to, uh, to him. Ooh, I know. Get me on that show. <laughs> Play some John. Play some John. <laughs> this morning, when I'm 64, all together now, things we said today, just... Anyway, here's a rant for you. Here's a rant. <laughs> the free rant. Free rant. Next rant video. <laughs> and we're hoping to do part two of our Paul and George, <laughs> Paul and George relationship show. So again, that's uh, check out the YouTube channel, Two Legs of Paul McCartney podcast. Please uh, subscribe and hit that hit that like button. And uh, we appreciate all you guys taking the time to uh, watch us uh, to just knuckleheads who love uh paul mccartney music and and joe you're next. go ahead joe oh, oh oh thank you thank you i'll try to flush this out a little bit well first of all over at my youtube channel mean mr mayo you can find rant videos if you want to if you want to like hear somebody that gets fed up with stuff and you can relate and sympathize but but aside from that i've been doing a lot of live streams lately and i've been doing one every morning now it's become a, a habit like you know a morning cup of joe and there's a lot of Beatles talk there lately. I've, you know, I have people come up there, and we've been discussing a lot of Beatles stuff, including I just saw like Norman Maslow, the Beatles, Beatles guy, Mazzy was on, and we just have a lot of Beatles talk. Also, I was on Two Legs recently, along with Tom and Andy and Beatley Tone, where we did our show that we call "Stuck Inside These Four Walls." And we did another one of those babies. And uh, I still have a lot, a lot of now and then stuff. A lot of now and then stuff. I did really well with that stuff. Now and then was really popular. And uh, every day there was something else to talk about. So if you want to see more now and then, we probably had enough by now. But if you haven't, check it out at me, Mr. Mayo. All right. Ken, how about you? You always are busy, busy, busy. Not as much as you guys are. <laughs> I'm slowing down in my old age here. Oh, no. But um, on things we said today, the most recent show that we did, actually, I took off for that. And it was Darren DeVivo and Alan Cozen. And they interviewed uh, Vivek Tiwari because it's the 10th anniversary of his graphic novel, The Fifth Beatle, on Brian Epstein. Wow. So the two of them interviewed Vivek for that show and then two shows ago was our epic show with peter jackson which again i would recommend everybody watch it's all about now and then it's all about the audio and the video for that and learning more about the mal software and uh like i said in our last show big big highlight we got a lot of compliments on uh the special demonstration that that uh, peter did breaking down day tripper and hearing every single instrument even breaking down all the drum parts and all the different harmonies, separating each one. So it was really phenomenal to uh, to watch that and to listen to that. 
and um also there's a there's my uh youtube channel haven't had new shows for a while but there's 139 shows there probably have some new ones coming soon uh there's my website kenmichaelsradio.com where you've got beatles trivia happening where you can win i just had the book here the ken <laughs> womack book anyway it's here somewhere <laughs> oh the book on mal evans um that is one of 10 great prizes you can win <laughs> Um, along with uh, the Paul McCartney legacy with uh, Alan Cozen and Adrian Sinclair. And, um, you know, there's usually a mixture of easy and challenging trivia questions and games, just like I have in my trivia show on my YouTube channel. There's nine of those if you want to watch a, a half-hour show that's all uh, Beatles trivia. And I, uh, go here. I won the... a bunch of them. Where's my, where are my prizes? <laughs> where are my prizes? Everything you got behind you. Oh, well, a lot of that's from the old WDHA days. Oh, that's I would believe that, you know, yeah, oh, and then yeah, yeah. Won a lot of oh, prizes yeah. from my WNHU days. Yeah. <laughs> OK, so I think that's it. If you want to get in touch with me, my email is every little thing at att.net. And uh, you could also become my friend on Facebook at Ken Michaels. And uh, please subscribe to Ken Michaels Radio, the YouTube channel and things we said today. Right. You never have too many friends. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Uh, as for me, I've been uh, super busy getting ready for my next class, which I cannot believe starts Thursday, uh, December 7th. It's uh, part two of my British Invasion series, uh, where I'm going to be talking about the first wave of the British Invasion, which uh, certainly involves a group we all know and love called the Beatles. But I'm also going to be talking about the Hollies, uh, Jerry and the Pacemakers, the Who, the Kinks, the Stones, you name it. Uh, I just checked and there are only a few spots left uh, in my class. So it's almost sold out. So if you're going to sign up, I would do it really, really soon because do it like, now. yeah, do it now. That's right. It starts Thursday. It's December 7th and 14th. Uh, I do interactive presentations, um, and uh, it's not just me lecturing at you for, you know, an hour or so. It's also class discussion. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and so I do hope you can join me. Um, it's through Monmouth University, and it's on Zoom, and so, uh, so I do hope you can join me. The link is on our Facebook page. Uh, it's also on my personal Facebook page, so um, go there to register. Uh, the newest uh, episode of Toppermost of the Poppermost is up. You can find it at toppermostofthepoppermost.net. You can also find us on Facebook. We have a Facebook group. If you join that, you can uh, find uh, the latest episodes there as well. We are into November 1963. Um, Ed and uh, Martin do a great job of editing these shows, but it takes a while to edit in all the different clips and so forth. So we're, you know, a little bit behind in each of our episodes, but I promise you the wait is worth it. And with the gotta, Beatles, with the Beatles. Yeah. You gotta got, got edit out all the ums and likes, you know? Exactly. You have to do that. <laughs> I'm trying to get better at that. I'm trying yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. You have to edit that out. We we put in some clips and things you like know. that. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so you know. but the wait is worth it i promise so uh and we are heading very quickly into the episodes where 
Beatlemania finally hits America. So uh, thanks to all of you. You know, we're, we're our show is growing. And so we, we thank all of you who have been supporting us and telling us they really like the show. And thank and speaking of support, thank you to all of you who have been supporting our show. Um, you know, we we really appreciate all your comments uh and uh and your support as as this show has been growing. So uh, that will do it for this very, very special episode of Talk More Talk. And so for Ken Michaels, Joe Mayo, Tom Hanyadi, this is Kiddo Tool saying we will see you for uh, soon for our last episode of 2023. Ooh, that's right. Peace love. What? <laughs>